I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, and welcome to the Living History UK podcast, a podcast for the discerning and knowledge hungry historians out there. You can support our podcast and get much more from Living History UK by joining our Patreon from just £1. And by doing so, you'll be a part of an ever-growing community and really help to make a difference as we strive to keep history alive. But for now, enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to Living History UK podcast. And today we're joined by me, Danny Reese, and we're going to be doing another Collector's Corner. And I'm over the moon to welcome my great friend, Dave, firstly, Dave, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Yeah, thanks. Nice to be on. As those of you who've been listening before to the podcast, you know, we're doing a little bit of different. We're having a collector's corner every so often where I'm going to be touching base with some of my great collecting friends. Now, most of the listeners to this podcast are into the living history world, but obviously every living historian reenactor is a collector at heart. And there's some really hardcore collectors out there. And when we talk about special forces especially british special forces there's only one name that i can put out there and that is you dave so can you just give us a, a quick background into why you're interested in british special forces well i've been a collector since the age of eight and then you, you i collected everything army navy and air force and whatever i could afford and then gradually when i joined the army in 1960 in as a boy in the royal warwickshire regiment i started to collect royal warwickshire and then in 82, I joined the Parachute Regiment, so I became interested in Parachute Regiment. 68, uh, joined the SES and became interested in SES insignia. Um, but at the time, I collected worldwide Special Forces insignia. But in order to gain some of the good SES items, I had to exchange the worldwide stuff. And then I narrowed it down um, to British uh, special Forces, um, mainly SES, but I had to get rid of all my foreign stuff. But also it was a good move because it was difficult to keep track of the foreign fakes. Um, so that's my advice to anybody specialising in an area and become well-read and know what the genuine items look like. 
Fantastic, Dave. Yeah, it seems to me, obviously your 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 paid job has made the, the interest in your collecting area a bit more relevant, as it were. Obviously, a lot of people listening now will be looking in because the recent uh, TV series, SES Rogue Heroes, has probably spurred a lot of interest in people in collecting SES items and obviously those early days out in the desert. And I know from, from being around your collection and stuff and seeing some of your really early items, it is fantastic. And some of them really, you, know, you just can't believe that they were owned or used by the people that you, you obviously been popularized by TV. Um, with collecting, you mentioned that obviously you've changed to specify in specialize into British special forces, and you mentioned fakes. Do you reckon that the fakes are now in the market for long enough to be really passable off, or is it they still quite obvious to be seen? Well, I mean, the thing is that the fakers adjust as they find out what people are looking for they then adjust the fakes to be more authentic and one little group i got caught of um the embroidery i found some badges commando badges at the market and they were embroidered in the world war ii style there was no nylon in them and i thought they were genuine until i consulted with somebody else and no a lot made in India, Pakistan, and they're made with old cotton, no nylon. Uh, they're dirtied up a bit, they're faded with sun lamps. And, um, and a lot of people have them in the collection. And, and I'm sure every every collection, there are some fakes. Um, and with fakes, the cap badge market, as you know, has been completely ruined. Um, I used to collect cap badges, but um, the fakes, they put makers' names on the back. They've done everything. Some I can tell and some I can't. Some I can say absolutely genuine, absolutely fake. And then there's a, a pile in the middle, which just don't know. Yeah, I think we've all got a pile of cat badges in our collections that are like, mm, the backs are a bit too shiny or they've got makers. Yeah. They're all, all the sliders are marked. This is, these are British, cap, British Army cat badges for those who are listening. We automatically default to, but these are British Army cat badges normally made of brass or bimetal. Uh, and you'll see the backs of them are shiny as a new penny, but the fronts are dirty. And you, know, you start questioning yourself or they're a bit flimsy or the manufacturer seems a bit cheap. But then obviously the problem is these reproductions have been in circulation for so long now. Yeah. They are dirtied up as much as the originals. And you start questioning yourself, how many times have I seen, I think it's one of the uh, OTC cat badges, come, the one of the PALS, which should be one it is now, but every show I go to, I see one. I've seen more cat badges than ever people were in the actual unit. Yeah. It's such a small unit. You know, obviously, our listeners who are into the German side of things, German World War II side of things, will know about the repro market and know that the repros, again, have been out there long enough to pass off. But also, there is an industry of people out there who are deceiving, not just deceiving those who want to buy original items, but also those who are aging items to fit gaps in people's collections. And these are obviously being taken by unscrupulous people and then sold for genuine prices, you know. The amount of times we see Paris, uh, German Fauschemäger, I use a proper title, Fauschemäger badges, and we've seen different versions of the Iron Cross that have been dirtied up, muckied up. Oh, I found it at a car boot sale for a pound. You know, you start asking these questions, you know, where's it come from? So, Dave, when talking about specifically British Special Forces, where would you say the best sources are to get if you want a genuine item and you just come into collecting where would you say the best place to go for well you need to go to the, the well established auctions where they more or less give a guarantee um, 
some of the, the big auctions, they, they sell it as a genuine item. Um, then you can you can return it despite all the the small print because they don't want to risk their reputation. Uh, C and T Militaria do a very auction houses do a very good line in Militaria, uh, same as Noonan's. Uh, you can trust trust the big aux the big auctions really. Um, you're taking chances at flea markets, car boots. Um, well, some of the best bargains are probably a car boots because the people in don't know what they're selling but at the antique flea market that's where a lot of these fakes get put out and I, i've been caught talking german fashion I got, I got caught on the helmet and of course i'm not an expert in german para helmets but i contacted somebody who said yeah there's somebody making them they're converting gsg9 para helmets uh, aging them uh, they're staining the lining and the, the chin strap with tea and it looks authentic um, because he got caught and he, he investigated what a genuine para helmet should look like. Shall I make your uh, listeners mouth water with some of the items I've got in my collection? Oh, go on then, David. It'd be, it, it, people will be now excited on their edge of their chair seeing what, what I've, well, some of the things I've let slip on the other social media channels. That, for example, your display at the, uh, the last BMA, uh, Birmingham Metal Society, one of the great collecting societies uh, to, to join. And if you weren't interested about British medals and awards. Um, but yeah, go on, Dave. Yeah, just get people excited. Well, luckily, I was in the, in the right position before the SES became famous, if you like, to meet people um, and gain some stuff off them. But also, I was buying stuff, uh, and sometimes I meet the person who sold it, and he said, oh, I would have given it to you if I'd known. Um, best example, I've got the Jeep pennant from Paddy Main's Jeep, which is a union flag with first SES across it. I've got the Popsky's own cap badge. Not Popsky, from, came from Popsky via Len Whitaker, who wrote some talk of private armies. I've got Bagnall's Long Range Desert Group badge. Um, and I also got some metal ribbons, collar badges to a man named Sterling, who's Colonel Sterling, who was with Lawrence of Arabia. And uh, that's the newest I've got on that. I've also got um, a First World War Foreign Legion group of medals with the photograph and the man's name all in a frame. That was picked up at a flea market, so the, the bargains are there. Um, and not quite special forces, but I've got one of Monty's battle dresses as well. Uh, Phil Marshall Montgomery. Um, I've got a whip from Belson, given to me by a two SES man, who also gave me his escape maps for Germany. Oh, I've got a full L detachment officer's uniform, peak camp battle dress. That is amazing. KD tread, desert boots. <laughs> all came in a suitcase some years ago. Um, I bought them from a, a dealer. Um, it's about three hundred and fifty pounds, then a lot of money. But uh, yeah, I've got other other bits and pieces that I picked up. Um, one example: when I was on guard as a young trooper, wandering around at night, checked the dustbins, found a nice battle dress in the in the dustbin. Um, I've got a battle dress to a chap named Bert Perkins, who served in the Second World War in an infantry regiment and was captured. Then joined the SES um, 
after Korea. He was captain with the Gloucesters in Korea, then joined the SES. And the SES in Malaya went on leave every now and again, and they had battle dresses made from lightweight blankets. <laughs> so this this battle dress, and the flashes were made locally as well. So this this battle dress has got special air service and then regiment on the title. And with his uh, presidential citation and his other divisional signs uh, on the battle dress. And I need to add about three long service stripes because he, he was still a, a lance corporal at the time after about 15 years in the army. And I've picked up lots of other uniforms from people I serve with. I've got an RAF regiment uniform with SES wings and a lance corporal stripe on it, which is another anomaly. I've got. Is it interesting uh, that, David. Anom- you listen, listen to our rally leader. Sorry to interrupt you there. It was interesting about okay. that uniform. Is it's a lance corporal stripe, which obviously the RAF regiment are entitled to nowadays. But that yeah. that uniform is from the eighties. But the interesting about that is the lance corporal stripe is not an RAF stripe. It is the regiment's no, own SAS stripe. So yeah. it's an RAF uniform with SAS wings and an SAS lance corporal stripe, which is which is when you first see it, you think yeah. that's wrong. So he's been playing with the fantasy dressing up box here. But no, it is totally right. And I've got another number one dress uniform uh, with a warrant officer's crown on it, but he's got an officer's blue collar and amongst his medal ribbons, an RF long service medal. And he wore this at his wedding. Now, yeah, the collar's incorrect because it's an officer's collar, but, you know, so what? He wanted to look smart at his wedding. So this is how it was made up. Exactly. Dave. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you do see these variations in uniforms. People think, no, it's got. Uh, we call it pamphlet soldiering. They've read the they've read the pamphlets. So they've got to do exactly as the pamphlet says. But there were these variations, and they did exist. You know, especially a good example there. I know, sorry to interrupt you, was the RF regiment uniform. That is such a standout. And since then, I picked up that very nice um, officers' flight lieutenant's RF regiment uniform with wings, uh, which people would have seen in my video with uh, John Shanahan over at Era Military Collectibles. I did a talk about it and said how the variations, and obviously people were attached to the regiments. They weren't posted to is an attack it's just a strange one isn't it dave it's not it's not you yeah you have to you have to serve so many years before you become permanent carder and for a long time the only permanent carder were the qms and other officers you know when i say other you're talking about five or six officers and that's why the ses mess dress is rare because there's only these few officers who possess one? Um, that's the old, the old blue collar mistress and blue stripe. So going back to obviously we got these variations, but research is going to be the key cornerstone for all this stuff. Obviously, I'm quite lucky because you're only a phone call away. I can give you, Dave. I've seen this. What do you think? Or can you ask? Can you can you confirm what your belt kit was in the Falklands was the other day? Because uh, my good friend John Shanahan wants to. He's making up a tribute section, so we say, and he's working on it at the moment to get bits and bobs. But what would you say if you're a new collector and you wanted to go out and get research, what books or what sources would you say are would be become your Bible, so to speak? Well, I've got I've got my own records which I've collected over the years, but the SES War Diary is great for um World War Two, but um it's not in chronological order. So there's a long, long search. Um the other the other books, the Rogue, Rogue Warrior, um Paddy Main, it's got a nominal role in the back of people who went to Europe 
Um, I've got the two SES nominal role with their addresses and next to kin. Um, there are a number of documents in National Archives which list the various operations that the SES were on. But they were not put there by SES, they were put there, say, by the RAF, who dropped the men in the position. So there's also lots of photographs in the Imperial War Museum. Um, so if, if, you go, if you go online, National Archives site, and just type in Special Air Service or SES, it, it will list you all the, all the documents they hold relating to SES. Yeah, now obviously National Archives also hold a lot of the original paperwork reference uniforms and insignia. For example, a good book I always go back to is the Brian Al Davis book, the British Army uniforms and uh, uniforms and insignia book. It's really good. Um, but also another one, especially when you're looking into operations, we mentioned the War Diaries, and I know it's going to be a little bit of a plug here, but Damien Lewis, you your books are always fantastic. We love them, and especially your new one, your Brothers in Arms, is fantastic. But the cornerstone, which I always love and I always recommend people get first, it might be in your Christmas present, Dave, is his Band of Brothers, all about Sabu 70, because that is a fantastic compilation of not just um, the original, original War Diary, but also Air Commando, the book by, I can never pronounce his name pro properly, but the Air Commando by... Serge Viculi. That's the one. I can't, say it, I can't say it without spitting type name. Yeah. Um, also, is a, he's interviewed... A, interviewed the families and any surviving veterans who served with them. So those compilation books are quite good because they give you, especially for the new collector, you get to read that and you get like a taster of the wartime regiment. Now, most of our listeners here will be tuning in because in the title, we've got those key two words that seem to be floating around on everyone's tongues at the moment, rogue heroes. Mm. And one of the main reasons why I wanted to get you on, David, because you're quite lucky to be able to actually speak to the original, the real rogue heroes, not the slightly, hang on, be careful what I say here, slightly fantasized, slightly played around with stories that has been put out on TV. And I really wanted to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners about the real men, the real, you know, obviously there's been a lot of opinions going around on, on various social media about these guys, but there's no one better than yourself. Who knew that? Who knew them? Who were who were well? Obviously, sadly, sorry to spoil you. Who's listening? Who not watched the latest series? Jock, obviously, Jock Lewis and uh, uh, Paddy Main sadly uh, passed on um, by the time by the time you you were uh, in the regiment. But did you get get to speak to people like uh, David Sterling? Yeah, I met, I met him a couple of times, and um, yeah, he's a gentleman. Uh, that's the only way. Quiet gentleman. Uh, in fact, last, the last time I spoke to him was about somebody who was claiming to have served with him in the war. Well, because you get these war committees about one a month who claim they served in SES. And, and I, I said what I'd done to him or what a action I'd taken. And he said, well, well, well done. But um, the other person I've spoken, Mike Sadler, um, when they used to do medal mounting, Mike Sadler brought all these medals still in the boxes. This is only a few years ago, and he, he never had them mounted. And it's a fantastic group um, with his MC, MC for SES, MM for Long Range Desert Group, his World War II stars, and then he's got the only General Service Medal named SES for Near East. And then the icing on the cake, he's got the Polar Medal 1945 on the end. So... It's quite know, poetic, fact, really, being an icing on the cake for a, for an ice medal, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
Because I said to him, I said, Paddy Main was with you. Why didn't Paddy Main get the, um, the polar medal? And he said, oh, because he, he threatened to punch the uh, organiser of the expedition. So <laughs> he, he didn't do a, a winter over there. So so from, from what he's basically saying, then, the way David Sterling is produ- on the TV is he's a swearing, drinking, but then he does he does mellow out towards the end of, obviously, uh, the end of the six episodes. He does mellow out a bit, obviously, when he's come across people like Paddy and all that. But you see him more as a quiet gentleman rather than a, than, than a brash. Everybody, you know, could have, when we go on the reflying trips, we, you meet a lot of the, well, the veterans that are left. And they all say a gentleman, including, you know, Paddy Main, not so bad as people make make out. But um, probably the people who, who make these stories up are the people who fell foul of Paddy when they didn't come up to the mark. That's <laughs> usually the way. Uh, with selection, people who, they fail because they fell out with the instructor, they got injured and all these rubbish stories I've heard over the years. They fail because they were not good enough, basically. Yeah, I must admit, from from watching the TV series, the the only character I think is really hit the mark, and I don't know if you if you've, you saw him or you've heard from others who've, who've watched him, is Jock Lewis. Jock Lewis, I think, is portrayed <clears throat> the most correct to how he was. He was again a pre-war officer. Um, yeah. he, he was a very switched-on cookie. He knew his stuff, and he was he was ingenious. You know, he did invent the Lewis bomb. I have tried to find some photographs of Lewis bombs, but nobody seems to have kept any photographs of how they originally made up. Well, originally made from PE 808 with rifle oil. Just, it's just an explosive. That's, that's it. I might try and make, reproduce one for our displays. For those because of you, those the of you, was all crumbly, and uh, I've made up uh, equivalent to Lewis bombs. Um, with and this is why they use rifle oil because it all, the 808 was all crumbly in the desert, and um, you molded it like making a cake. <laughs> That's interesting. In the, in, the, in the TV series, they do show him mixing it up in a in a bucket type thing. Yeah. Um, and, and interesting to see rifle oil as well there as well, because they just mentioned that general oil or diesel oil, but obviously rifle oil with copious kicking around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Desert ops, as you know, you've got to clean your weapon every day. Only a light oiling, no, not heavy oiling for in the desert. I always be remember taught. Um, but you need gloves as well, because it's the nitroglycerine. Ah. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah, the characters portrayed in the series are a bit, obviously, I'm going to mention it and people are going to go, it's Paddy Main and his sexuality. At the end of the day, it, i got no problem with whatever you want to be. Um, I, just, I think there's no reason to overplay it in the series. I've never heard anything, uh, any of the veterans ever said anything. Uh, Should we like, scrub that and do that bit again? again. Yeah. <laughs> See, sorry, Steve, phone went off. <laughs> obviously, right, sorry, sorry again. Obviously, the big thing that's being played on in this series is Paddy Main and his sexuality. At the end of the day, no, I don't think anyone's got any problem with whatever you want to be in life as long as you're happy. Have you ever heard anything from that of the original veterans? None of the veterans ever mentioned anything like that at all. He was a, he was a firecracker at the end of the day. Probably when he got a few drinks in him, he was a bit on the, on the wild side. But <laughs> yeah, Oh, yeah, he's a soldier you want next to you in action. Yeah. But um, he... He'd be no good if the officers missed part. <laughs> <laughs> there is a, there is a scene interesting. He's playing chess in the mess, and uh, a higher ranking officer tries to interrupt him. And he ends up throwing him against a piano, which I could probably see him happening if he was mm. in depth in a game. Yeah. Um, 
But again, he was a, he was a soldier. He was a, he, he, in Cairo. He would have smartened up. There's, there's lots in the series. He's got a goatee in Cairo, which is like why? At least Cairo, he would smarten up for Cairo because you're going out on the town at the end of the day. You want to look your best. Um, we mentioned Mike Sadler again. Fantastic, he's still alive. I wish they'd interviewed him before the series. Oh, the actor had met him and got some of his mannerisms because he's quite a quiet, gentle chap. And I've, I've, I've yeah, yeah, very, very, very quiet, gentlemanly. Um, like vast majority of SES. I mean, you get you get your odd characters like Paddy Main and other people who are a bit wild, but um, the vast majority don't sort of stand and shout and, and look like a, a, a rogue warrior, if you like. <laughs> so obviously, this this TV series, uh, series one, we're covering the formation in North Africa. We've get in Living History UK. We reckon series two is going to be about late North Africa. And there's one name in there that's not been mentioned yet, which a lot of people who know a bit about the regiments go, where is Bill Sterling? So we reckon, Series 2, we're going to see Bill Sterling? Well, Bill, Bill, Bill Sterling was two SES, and he was the other side of North Africa. So it'd be nice if he popped in. in series, but obviously, we're looking Series 3. We hope Italy and Sicily. We'd love that to see the raiding squadrons, the, you know, the quick uh, smash and grab stuff in there. But the big one I'm looking forward to, and I know those of you who follow Living History UK know that we do a, a portrayal um, with my Jeep for France and Germany. Specifically, I my Jeep is aimed towards the operations, Houndsworth, Bull Basket, Gain, those early behind-the-lines stuff. Covered in Damien Lewis's book, Band of Brothers, uh, with Sabu 70. But the one series that I wanted to touch your touch base with you is, do you reckon there could be a Series 6? I know this is really aiming off now, a Series 6, about the Nazi hunters and the SES role after the war. Yeah, that, well, that, that that's worth covering because they did track down a lot of war, war criminals, but also there were operations in um, individuals involved in Greece and Palestine and other places. Um, the SES regiment was disbanded but SES individuals still got involved in all these other operations until the reformation in 1952 yeah I think it's really important to cover that because you know there is mention of it in Damon's book about Nazi hunting after the war but it's interesting to hear that guys were still badged in theory and on the payroll still the regiment even though according to the war office they'd actually disbanded and colours laid up and all the good stuff but they were still operating, even though it was slightly black ops. You know, we think black ops is a modern term. They were still operating as black ops up until reformation day. But they had, they had to, because the regiment was disbanded, they had to be on somebody else's payroll. And if you take Roy Farron, Roy Farron was in the Herefordshire Regiment. Yeah, well, is, is he, did he, is he in the MC, uh, DSO and bar, MC in three bars or is he two bars? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable collection of awards. Really, you know, he's Hereford's T Hereford's TA with a DSO and bar MC and two bars. <laughs> yeah. No, he was he was down as it was supposed to be a farmer. Um I've never met him, but I've corresponded with him. Um, I've got letters on file uh, from him because I, I wrote to him years ago about badges and what they wore and wings and everything else. And these decorations confirmed his decorations. And of course he had a nickname of McGinty as well. <laughs> <laughs> so David obviously a lot of people listening now will be interested because of the Rogue Heroes TV series there's no doubt in that and obviously there's those of us who are collectors beforehand and obviously you're well before <laughs> beforehand you got me interested in it um, 
guys and girls who are coming into the collecting era and collecting, wanting to collect British Special Forces, specifically SAS items, what would be your three top tips? I, this is quite a common thing on my podcast, three top tips. What three top tips would you say to someone who's coming into collecting this era? Era. Well, first of all, you, you need to specialise in a particular theme and become an authority in, in that particular unit, whether it's Popsky's Private Army, Long Range Desert Group, SES or Commandos. Uh, very difficult to do them all. Um, also, buy from people you know or dealers where you can return an item if it's a fake. Any good dealer will take anything back if it's a fake. When I was a dealer, I always gave a guarantee, lifetime practically, uh, any item found to be a fake can be returned. Um, and try and find somebody like myself who you can say, is this right? Well, thank you, Vee. I know that's been coming handy many a times. And I know your, your knowledge is being extended to the wider world, especially with the Living History UK SAS impression. I've sent you many photographs going, is this right? Are we doing it correct? Because end of the day, you're my authority, you're the other one I'm going to go to. Because if we're doing it wrong, I don't want to do it. I want to do it right and exactly as it were. We can use the war diaries, but we're not pamphlet soldiers. We want to do how you, how you guys say it was done by the originals. But firstly, from myself, Dave, and all the Living History UK team, thank you so much for coming on today for the podcast. Um, I know this is going to be a fascinating one for everyone to be listening in to. And uh, remember, guys and girls, get your pens and paper out, get onto the website, get onto the podcast links, because next year, the 22nd and 23rd of April, we have the Living History UK Festival, and that's going to be at Moira Furnace over in Leicestershire. You can get a day out for a few pounds. Where can you, In the cost of living crisis, where can you have a day out for less than a tenner? I tell you where, the Living History UK Festival. So remember, links are in the podcast, but also we have our TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, and all the other forms of social media you can think of. Just put it in there, Living History UK. So Dave, thank you so much once again. Okay, thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, then why not send us a PayPal donation? All donations help us pay to host the podcast and for us to create new content for your enjoyment. Furthermore, if you would like to submit a question or even a subject matter for the podcast, join Patreon and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The links are in our bio. Until next time, keep history alive.